Well, we are thinking about Christmas songs today indeed as we prepare to hear the song of Mary once again. It's a scripture reading today. Uh, but first, we have a song from the Old Testament, Hannah's song, which actually is sort of the original Mary's Magnificat. Uh, as you'll see in, the moment, in a moment, there are a number of overlapping themes between these two songs. And so, in many ways, Mary's song is a remix, if you will, of Hannah's song. So as we prepare to listen to God's word as it comes to us through these songs, let us first bow for a word of prayer and ask God's spirit to illumine God's word for us. Let us pray. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. All these prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. Hannah's song comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Having already heard Mary's song, I invite you to listen specifically for overlapping themes and uh, similar words as you hear uh, this reading from 1 Samuel. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in my God. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in my victory. There is no holy one like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry are fat with spoil. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might does one prevail. The Lord, his adversaries shall be shattered. The Most High will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And we turn now to the New Testament reading, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. I invite you to listen once again for God's word. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor upon the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Is there anything more painful than a broken promise? I'm not sure that there is. A broken promise is a deep violation of trust and often breaks the very people for whom the promise was not kept. Broken promises cause an enormous amount of damage. To this day, I haven't forgotten how Roberto became president of my second grade class. When it was Roberto's turn to give his speech, he promised that he would convince the cafeteria people to increase the number of pizza Fridays we would have from once a month to once a week. And it was a compelling platform. When our class voted, Roberto won in a landslide. But of course, Roberto overestimated the sway a second grader would have on the school's cafeteria policies, and he never delivered on his campaign promise for more Pizza Fridays. The fact that I can still remember his name and the promise he didn't keep says it all. Broken promises are not easily forgotten, right? Of course, the problem is that our world is full of unkept promises, and not just trivial ones concerning pizza, but much more insidious and painful unkept promises. Politicians run on platforms they know they can never deliver. Spouses make promises on their wedding day that devastate marriages when one partner breaks a vow. Scammers prey on vulnerable people with Promises of get-rich-quick schemes that lead only to financial ruin. Our world's full of unkept promises. Of course, we teach our children to do what they say they will do. Never make a promise you can't keep. I can hear my parents' voices saying in my head. We teach that there's nothing more important than your word. And once you give your word, it's important that you stand by that word. Our credibility, our integrity is at stake if we issue a promise we can't keep. But nevertheless, the world is full of unkept promises. And is there anything more painful than a broken promise? In the days of Mary of Nazareth, many people had begun to wonder if God had failed to keep God's promises. The nation of Israel was pushing 600 years since it had been an independent nation, at least for an extended period of prosperous time. Empires had come and gone, but Israel remained in lonely exile from one generation to the next. The promise that God had made to Abraham and Sarah was that God would make their descendants into a great nation, but constant captivity had begun to call such a promise into question. Where was the God of Abraham now? Memories fade with time, and the memories of God's mighty acts were beginning to sound more like distant fables than vivid recollections. 
In the exodus from Egypt, God had promised to be the God of Israel. But 1,500 years later, it seemed like Israel was back in some kind of Egypt, back where they had started. Where was the God of Moses now? Furthermore, God had promised David that one of his descendants would remain on the throne of God's people forever. That his, of his house and lineage, there would be no end. But it was Caesar's world now. Where was the God of David? Yet into this suspicion of unkept promises, God's promise is reiterated to Mary through the angel Gabriel. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You see, in a world of unkept promises, God's promises are fulfilled and faithfully kept in the coming of Jesus Christ. Mary receives God's promise again. The promise that the world is to be governed not by the tyrants that Israel had become accustomed to, but by the Most High God who is returning to David's throne, by the good and gracious God who sets the captives free. Having received God's word of promise, Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, whose child leaps for joy in her womb upon arrival. And Elizabeth declares Mary blessed. Mary magnifies the Lord with the song of praise we read a moment ago. It's Mary's encounter with the promise of God that induces the joyful song that's come to be known as the Magnificat, the first word of its Latin version. Mary praises God because in a world of broken promises, she is reminded that God is faithful to God's promises. When God makes a promise, God can be trusted to see it through. But just what exactly does God promise? What will be the outcome of Mary's child's coming reign on the throne of David? Well, Mary's song foresees that God is bringing about a reversal of fortunes. Through the child in her womb, God is going to turn things upside down, reverse the teeter-totters of the world. That which is low will be brought high. And that which is high will be brought low. Mary's confidence that God will bring about a reversal of fortune propels her song to its crescendo. God has looked on Mary's lowliness, and from now on, all generations will call her blessed. Blessed is a reversal of fortunes, an exaltation of lowliness. But Mary knows that God's promises are not just for her. Mary's Magnificat is about God's actions toward the whole world. God will lift up those who are lowly and fill the hungry with good things. There will be a reversal of fortune for those who are unfortunate. But in doing so, there will also be a reversal of fortune for the fortunate. The proud are scattered in their thoughts. The powerful fall from their thrones. The rich are sent away empty. Mary's Magnificat in so many ways resonates with our human experience, doesn't it? We see reversal of fortune stories all the time when we look around us. We love a good rags-to-riches story, right? 
It's popular in the sporting world to root for the underdog just by default if we are not otherwise invested in the outcome. We celebrate and admire unlikely heroes like Malala Yousafzai, the Afghani activist and youngest ever Nobel Peace Prize winner who was shot by the Taliban for attending school. We love it when the hungry are filled with good things. On the other hand, people who society elevates to unspeakable heights often come crashing down. Remember what happened to Tiger Woods in 2009? He went from being one of the most popular athletes in the world to one of the most hated when his mugshot flashed across our screens as his infidelities were revealed. The same could be said of Lance Armstrong, the cancer-surviving cyclist turned doper, or Oscar Pistorius, the paraplegic Olympic, Olympic sprinter turned murderer. Or how about the many powerful men, beginning with Harvey Weinstein, whose sexual sins have been exposed through the Me Too movement over the last couple years? Little wonder that the narratives of countless novels and movies set the rich and powerful as the antagonists, the villains. Sometimes the mighty are brought down from their thrones. In the Bible, this theme of the great reversal doesn't begin with Mary, nor does it end with her. We see it all the way back in the promise that first came to Abraham and Sarah, who in their old age could have considered their lives to be done and dusted. Instead, through the two of them, God promises a great nation, and sure enough, the birth of their son Isaac follows shortly thereafter. Jesus' teachings reference massive reversals as well, especially in Luke's gospel, where we see Mary's song. The last will be first, and the first will be last, Jesus says. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will weep, Jesus says. The coming of Christ turns the world upside down. You see, Mary's Magnificat provides, in the words of theologian Jim Edwards, a revolutionary blueprint of divine favor. The God of the Magnificat advocates the small, the insignificant, and the needy. Is there something in your life that you wish could be reversed, but it seems impossible? Is there something in your life that makes you feel so lowly that you can't imagine being brought high again? Maybe it's grief over the loss of a loved one that is especially painful during the holidays and compounded by your inability to travel and be with family. Maybe it's something you regret so deeply that no other success in your life seems to lift your spirits. Maybe it's an anxiety that's so crippling you think you'll never find peace. Well, friends, God is in the business of, of reversing our fortunes. Mary reminds us that it is in our lowliness that God looks upon us with favor. It is toward the hungry that God directs good things. It may be true that there are some things in our life that cannot be undone, but that does not mean they cannot be reversed or rebalanced or redeemed. For nothing is impossible with God. God is in the business of reversing fortunes. And it's not just the fortunes of human beings that God reverses. 
More stunning and breathtaking still is that the coming of the Christ child to Mary reveals that God is willing to reverse God's own fortunes as well. Because God's very act of becoming a human being in order to dwell with the lowly is itself an embodied act of reversal. The God who is high, God most high to use Mary's term, becomes low and joins the lowliness of human beings. God exchanges the heights of heaven for the womb of one Mary of Nazareth, not the womb of royalty or power or wealth, the womb of Mary. God who is high becomes low. The life and ministry of Jesus continue to flip the script and reverse the curse of sin. To the lowliness of the sick and broken, Jesus brings healing and wholeness. To the lowliness of the outcast and the rejected, Jesus brings the heights of embrace and belonging. To the lowliness of our sins, Jesus brings the height of his own righteousness. You know, in most religions and philosophies, a meeting with the divine requires the low to ascend high, sinners to become saints. And the extent of divine favor correlates with the height of human worthiness but not so with the God made known to Mary. Sadly, though, many Christians still think this way. I can't tell you how many people I've met who have given up on their faith because they don't think God wants anything to do with them. I can't tell you how many people I've met who don't pray because they think they're not good at it. I can't tell you how many people I've met who feel intimidated by church because They don't have the right clothes, or they don't understand the language of faith, or they think everyone in church has it all together. Do we have it all together? God's promise in Mary's song reverses these sorts of fears. In the Christian faith, the God who is high becomes low. The Almighty fills the hungry with good things. God meets us in our low places, in our insecurities in our fears and in our doubts. And God meets us there in order to give life where we feel lifeless. So if you think that anything in your life is irreversible, think again. If you think that you are too lowly for God to find you, think again. If you think lifelessness has the last word, think again. Friends, God is in the business of bringing about reversal. It's a promise that God keeps in a world full of unkept promises. And that should cause our souls to join Mary's and joyfully magnify the Lord. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.